Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. And I'm Arnie. Got a great show coming up this week. We're going to have Jonathan joining us with his On the Peg segment. Nathan joining us talking about comic books. Steve with a UK report. We're going to review Jocasta New and Jaina Solo. But first, let's go check out what's in the stores with Jonathan on the Pegs. Hi there and welcome to another installment of On the Pegs chocked full of plastic goodness. I'm Jonathan and I'll be going over what's being found or not found in stores and online. I had assumed that with the cancellation of the Droid Factory line and the knowledge that we are not supposed to be seeing the Black Series until fall, that there wouldn't be too much to find in stores. Well, I've been proven wrong before. Over the past several weeks I've been frequenting my local targets, Walmarts, Toys R Us's, and etc. to see what's available. At Toys R Us a few weeks ago, they had a sale on all Star Wars figures, which effectively cleaned them out of most of the remaining vintage figures. When I went there last, they only had a few Qui-Gons left. They had also various dregs of the season waiting to find a home. Sometimes going to Toys R Us is like being at an orphanage. All these toys that have been there for years hoping in vain to be adopted. At my local Toys R Us's, they still have Y-Wings, Republic Attack Shuttles, MTTs and Vintage Falcons collecting dust at full price. I do still have my eye out for the Vintage Collection Endor AT-AT. While there have been numerous reports of it available in Canada, I haven't seen it here yet. I did get one report from Massachusetts that the AT-AT was found, but the individual had not gotten me a picture as of this recording, so I can't verify the find. What I did find new, though, was a few aisles over in the LEGO department. Wave 3 of the mini ships and figures have been released. These are the ones that come packed in a little globe representing a world in the Star Wars galaxy. In this wave, we have Coruscant with a Republic assault ship and a clone trooper, Kamino with a Jedi starfighter and R4P-17, and an asteroid field with a TIE bomber and TIE pilot. I really do like this line, but I didn't pick these up because typically Toys R Us charges a few dollars more than you can find them at Target or Walmart, so I think I'll wait to see them there. Speaking of Walmart, I've been finding quite a few items there lately. A few weeks ago, I posted on the Facebook page that I came across two full cases worth of the 2012 Wave 2 vintage figures. This was the deleted scenes wave that had Luke building his lightsaber, Colonel Kraken, and the Mon Call pilot. I didn't need any of these, but I was able to help out a friend who had never been able to pick them up. I also found a new LEGO mini set at Walmart as well. 
the Z95 Headhunter. I've always loved these little sets. It was under $4, and even though it isn't the best representation of the fighter, I had a lot of fun putting it together. Now a suggestion for all you parents out there. These sets are great to keep with you for those times when you are stuck someplace and the kids get bored, as an alternative to the iPads, iTouches, DS's, and so on. They're easy to keep with you, quick to build, a lot of fun, and cover your ears, Arnie. If a piece is lost, it's not a big deal. Just a little service announcement from your friends at Star Wars Action News. Also at Walmart, they've been doing a lot of clearances as well. However, as I've said before, their deals leave a little bit to be desired. At the Walmart I went to today, I found lots in the clearance section, but the prices made me put them back quick. First, I found the Gallagher Patrol Battle Pack from the Legacy Collection line. Remember him? But for $24.97, he could stay there. They also had several vintage collection ships like Obi-Wan Starfighter and the AAT but they were still $28, so they were also easy passes. The one item that they had on clearance that actually belonged there was a Titanium 3-pack for $15, about half off, but I still didn't need it. Over at Target, they have had some decent clearance items. A couple of weeks ago, I found one of the Vintage Collection 3-packs for $7.48, so I picked it up. I mean, who can't use a few more droids? And speaking of droids, I picked up a boatload of battle droids when Target was clearancing out their vintage figures for, wait for it, $2. At that price, I pretty much picked up most of what they had from the vintage line. Hitting several stores, I managed to add a dozen of the Episode 1 battle droids to my ranks. In a strange move though, Target has, well, in my area at least, restocked the vintage collection with more Episode 1 peg warmers and raised the prices back up to $9.99. Now if you've been waiting to pick up the newer Class 1 mini rigs, check your Target stores. They seem to be well stocked and are charging $5 less than they are at Toys R Us. Also being seen at Target are the new Class 2 ships. Now, a few weeks ago we had a birthday party for one of my boys, and he received the Slave 1 and the Jedi Starfighter as gifts. So, in the interest of the show, I decided to review them before letting my son take possession. I know that there has been a lot of information out there that these are much smaller than their previous released counterparts, but I wanted to see for myself. As I started taking them out of the box, I did realize just how small they were. These things are tiny. The only positive thing I can say about them is that the paint application on them was very nice. In fact, I was so disappointed I didn't take them all the way out of the box. I packaged them back up and convinced my son to return them. The new 12-inch figures are also plentiful at Target. All that's been released so far are the Episode 3 Anakin and the Episode 2 Clone. Because they have an open packaging, I was able to get a good look at them without actually having to buy one. When I asked them, both of my boys indicated that they weren't interested in ever getting these, though. I guess we'll have to see where this line ends up going. After looking at these figures, I have to admit I don't see the appeal either. If they were going for a vintage throwback vibe, perhaps they should have stuck with figures from the original trilogy in this line, which would have gone well with the five-point articulation. They have a very cheap feel and have all the articulation of my daughter's old Barbie dolls. So, if you want to bring Order 66 to the Barbie Dream House, these might be for you. Another new item I found at Target is a second exclusive Fighter Pod tin set. This one is what I can only describe as kind of a troop builder set. It has something like half a dozen different droids and clones, but comes with multiples of each. Target also appears to have a lot of the new Fighter Pod sets that we saw previewed at C6, like the Slave 1 and the Republic Gunship Fighter Pod Launcher. These, I have to admit, are starting to grow on me. I can't get over how much detail they are packing into these tiny little sculpts. 
Now, there have been reports that the Kmart exclusive ATST and two packs have been reduced to $15 and $5 respectively, so I braved a return to the store near my work. I shouldn't have bothered. They had plenty of them, but at the store near me they were marked at $31 for the Walker and $11 for the two pack. Again, easy passes. As far as online news, Sideshow Collectibles is previewing their latest premium format figure, Chewbacca. From the pictures they have up, it's a really nice piece and will be up for pre-order soon. There really isn't much else in the way of online news. Now as far as my collecting goes, besides the Endor ad-ad, I'm not actively searching for anything. Well, not anymore. As you heard last week, it was learned that the final wave of the Clone Wars figures and the last wave of the Movie Heroes line are not going to be released in the United States market, but they were available in limited numbers in other markets such as Europe and Canada. Being a completist, I knew that I needed these figures. I searched all over the internet for them. Retailers in Germany and Britain, friends who live overseas, collectors that live in Canada, but People are snatching these up and prices on the secondary market are climbing rapidly. I was able to secure a case of each from an eBay seller for what breaks down to about $18 a figure with shipping. Both lines are on the new Yoda style cards and consist of a mix of repacked figures and new releases. On my next segment, I'll be reviewing them and letting you non-obsessive collectors know if there are any significant differences that would warrant hunting them all down. However, if you know that you do want them, I would second what Arnie and Marjorie said last week. Don't wait. All indications are that the price of these is only going to go higher. If there are other items that you are actively searching for, remember to visit Star Wars Action News sponsor Brian's Toys. And when checking out, be sure to let them know that you heard about them here. Well, that's all for me this week. Let me know what you are finding, any good sales or unique items by posting on the forums or emailing me at Jonathan, that's J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N at RepublicForces.com. Till next time, keep searching those pegs. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Now also online, still available from Star Wars Action News sponsor Brian's Toys, is their first exclusive figure, Jocasta New. It's happened, folks. People have wanted her for so long. She is now available, shipping. I received mine just before Toy Fair, was so happy. I ordered two of these, one to keep mint on card or in box or on card in box, one to open up and have loose. I think I may have to go back and get a third because of the display options. I want one for my wall of figures carded, one to keep maybe mint in box, and then of course the one I've opened. So we're going to be reviewing her. She does come in a very nice box. It's a big box that has Velcro closures. If you've bought those exclusive comic packs from San Diego Comic-Con or Celebration 5... They have them. I believe JediCon had a really nice Velcro closure box, too. And I really like that because I love packaging, and it makes you feel like you're getting something super cool and super special. Yeah, it opens like a book, as it should with a librarian uh, figure. And then you can see the figure there, and off to the side is the Count Dooku bust from the Jedi Library. Because, of course, you always want to immortalize in bronze those who've left you and spurned you. Yeah. I have... Large bronze bus of all my ex-girlfriends in the house. It's just slightly awkward for me. That's the same way I feel when I walk down the corridor of ex-boyfriends that you have. Yep. But what's great is, with a little bit of finagling, you can get Jocasta New out and have her be on a card. She is under there. You have to bend the card a little bit, but there's no creasing. You can just kind of bend it and get it out and have just a single carded Jocasta New. 
I'm a little bothered by one thing. I was able to get those orders in in time for the card backs that they were handing out at Celebration. Mm-hmm. I was very happy about that. Both of mine came with card backs. The Jocasta new figures, of course, are unpunched. Why would they be punched? But the card backs that I got were somehow punched. That's odd. Isn't it? It's- yeah. A little bit of a bummer that they were punched since every other card back I have from San Diego, all those card backs that they gave me and that I'd have to always go to eBay to get the Sunday one of. Yeah, because we never go to Sunday. They were punched. But the card itself wasn't. Can get that out. Has the same back as the box. And then we get to the figure herself. Oh, she comes with librarian pointy fingers. Although she needs the shh finger instead of the rectal probe finger. Yeah, she's doing kind of a Jedi mind trick, like, you will be quiet. Yeah. You're right, she needs the shushing motion. I'm gonna say, for everyone who clamored for a Jocasta new figure, I feel you, man. I'm there with you. Not that I ever really had Jocasta new at the top of my list, but I have Kitster and Wald, and those are just as obscure. They're right there with Jocasta New on the Who Wants Them level. I don't know. I think that they have more lines than she does and more screen time. Yeah, but she has a much more memorable line. I mean, I can remember Wall going, Okie dokie, Annie! But, I I mean, if it's not in the Jedi archives, it doesn't exist, is a classic line. It is. She's got the sticks in her hair. This is quite clearly the movie-based appearance. I remember the people who wanted this figure. When she showed up and kicked some ass in the Clone Wars episode, they were all excited there might be a Clone Wars version of her. But no, even though she does come with a fairly nice lightsaber, this is definitely from the movie. That said, I don't think this figure is the 10 out of 10 figure that people would want, given that this is probably the only time you'll ever get Jocasta New as a figure. Well, what's weird is the soft goods they use is unlike any they've ever used before. It is coarse, it's rough, it doesn't lay right, which is tough to do anyway, I understand, but it's totally different soft goods than they've ever done. I hadn't noticed the texture of it. I think it actually lays fine, and it's not too shimmery. But they also gave her a soft goods purse? Yeah, I don't remember her having a purse, but I really never paid that much attention to her. She's got like a satchel that it, it's attached. You can't take it off, Arnie. No, I was just checking. Yeah, it, it lays awkward on her body. It's like across the shoulder kind of thing, but they have it attached through her plastic tabards, so it's not like you can rearrange it and make it lay right. No, it's huge. If, it is. Do you remember in The Breakfast Club when Ali Sheedy dumps her purse? This looks like Ali Sheedy's purse if it were brown. It does, yes. It's a huge purse. I could just it knocked Im- that lady over. Yeah, I could just imagine her dumping it out on the table for Anakin and Obi-Wan and I guess Isla Sakura would be the Claire in this scenario. I guess so, yeah. For them to all go through while she talks about doing her shrink. The other thing that I don't like about this figure, and maybe I got a bad one, the paint app is miserable. It is a bad paint app, and I didn't want to say anything for fear that you thought it was great, but it is pretty bad. I don't like the choice of the skin tone, first off, because it makes her look like she's a little bit bald at first, because it kind of blends in with the hairline. She's pale. There's not a lot of sunlight in the Jedi archives. Girl needs to get out more. And it's strictly Hasbro's fault, but the paint is miserable. I'm remembering Yaddle. If you remember... The hell we had when there were those three packs at Toys R Us from the Jedi Council and there was Yaddle. Oh, Yaddle. We just talked about Yaddle a little bit ago, I think, about never finding or how hard it was to find the correct paint app on her. 
Took me six months. Yeah. Well, being a mail order only figure, I can't look at all the Jocasta news and pick a good one. But mine has a giant paint splotch on her forehead of her hair paint and her eyebrow paint. Just right in the middle like a Hindu dot. Oh, it does. And see, it blends in because it's almost the same color as her skin. And then around the neck where they painted the very modest gray shirt she wears under her tunic, it's very not delineated there. It's just kind of cheaply painted. Perhaps we can just say she has age spots. Also, I don't remember her having a scarred up face in the Clone Wars. I don't remember her having a scarred up face in the movie, but again, I didn't pay attention to her that closely. But they drew some big old lines on her that look like scars the way Hasbro did the old Django Fett scar that went over his eye. They just basically drew a red line to represent a scar. She has three lines on her face. Is this representative of scarring? Did I get a really, really bad figure? I'm not sure, but I don't think that was necessary if it was there in the first place. It's really distracting when you look at this figure. It's like Tommy Boy. What happened to your face? (laughs) And even under her arm, I have black dots of paint. Where'd the black paint come from? Well, perhaps they should pay more than 10 cents an hour for the labor. They also under-accessoried her for the price that she is. They come with a nice box. You get the Count Dooku bust, we'll talk about it in a minute. But I'm used to vintage-style figures, and I consider this a vintage figure since in the box is a vintage card. I'm used to getting a lightsaber hilt and an ignited lightsaber. They did the removable blade lightsabers and all those tabs broke off, so they have been shipping two now. No, we just get the one lightsaber with the hilt and mine's bent. I think all your money went into that Dooku bust. That's where all the money went because that can't be a cheap piece of plastic to produce. So I really think that that's why everything's like, did you just break it? No, I just found a secret. Okay. Underneath the Dooku bust, it removes, you get a Jedi holocron. Wow, that's pretty cool. You're right. This is where the money went and it's awesome. The bust, though, I am going to give it props because even before I knew there was a holocron under there, and I think that was revealed, and I just never seen it, and I completely forgot about the holocron. But they did a good faux bronze job, too. I mean, I've seen a lot of bronze products in general. Is that what the kids are calling it now, a bronze job? (laughs) I think it looks like a good fake bronze. It looks realistic. It actually does, and it's got a good weight to it for being as small as it is. It's not anywhere comparable to if this was actually a bronze piece, but it's not, it doesn't feel hollow. So either they've weighted it properly, or I'm just fooled easily. The only thing I wish is on the pedestal, they could have hidden the seams a little better. Yeah, honestly, that's why I accidentally took the lid off, is I remembered something about a secret compartment, and I wondered if the base itself opened up. In a way, it kind of looks like... The fanciest Pez dispenser of all time. It kind of does. You're right. It's like the same size as a Pez dispenser. Has it's the head for people who eat Grey Poupon. Pardon me. Do you have a hidden holocron? <laughs> Listen, what I have to say about this figure isn't going to change anybody's mind. I know a ton of people who aren't buying it because being an exclusive, being with this bust, all of it, being Jocasta new, there's people who are just not buying it. And then people who have been waiting for Jocasta New for so long, here she is. It may not be the Jocasta New you wanted, but it's the Jocasta New you get. And hopefully you get a better paint job than mine. I do think they did an intricate paint job of the stencil work on her tabards. That was probably just a stencil or screen printing. But it looked good. It's a nice job there. That is a nice detail, what I would have expected from a vintage figure. For the articulation, she has all the articulation a Jedi needs. 
I don't know how much articulation a Jedi needs. I would think that the Jedi would be super articulated like Spider-Man. But the librarian? She's got to catch books, right? She's got the ball-jointed shoulders and elbows, articulated wrists, articulated knees that are also ball-jointed. Underneath her skirt, it's hard to see. I think her hips are just the standard swivel hips. No ankle articulation. We'll call that arthritis. The only thing that could be a little better is normally they do the ball-jointed head. Might have been cool to get a ball-jointed head so you could buy some extra ones of these, pop their heads off, and have... Other Jocasta- librarians? Jocasta new in battle wear. Jocasta uh. new in travel wear. Or reuse the body and pop different heads on here and repaint it for different types of things. I'm sorry, the librarian makes me giggle because there's this toy show we go to all the time, the Toy Man show, and there's always a librarian action figure there. And it's a a dowdy lady wearing, you know, the sensible shoes and the long skirt and the little cardigan sweater with her finger up to her mouth like she's going, shh. It always makes me think of that now when you say Jocasta New. Well, this is still available at Brian's Toys, but she won't last forever, and... My guess is Hasbro will not be re-releasing her anytime soon. because I doubt it. They didn't want to release her in the first place. And remember, when checking out at Brian's Toys, be sure to mention that you heard about them from Star Wars Action News. Now, I also bought something else last week, actually, but I got a chance this week to play it. I have been a fan of Zen Pinball, and I hadn't really heard of it before, but I started listening to the This Week in Marvel, Marvel Collecting Podcast. They talked a lot about these Marvel pinball tables that they had with Zen Pinball. And I'm like, what is the Zen Pinball? It was apparently available for the Xbox, the PlayStation, iPhone. I couldn't find it. I eventually did. And I picked up a Ghost Rider table and thought, eh, that's okay. And never thought about it again until I loaded it up when we were traveling to Toy Fair and it came up with a big pop-up screen, Star Wars Boards Coming Soon. You were excited for that. I really was, because I think they do a good job with the pinball table, and I wanted to see what they did for Star Wars. And the Zen Pinball game is free to download, but then you buy the tables you want, and they're $2 a table, which is not a lot of money, if you ask me, for a full table that has so much play. I will admit... I am a pinball sucker. One of my holy grails is to eventually get the Star Wars Trilogy pinball machine with the R2-D2 head that you hit with the pinball and all of that. I don't know where I'd put it right now, so even if I found it, I wouldn't buy it today. But it is on my list. I don't want a full Star Wars arcade. I just want the Trilogy game I have, the Trilogy pinball, and the Pod Racer and call it a day. And I remember Windows 95 came out and it had the Plus Pack. And the Plus Pack came with desktop themes and games, and one of those games was pinball. And I played that Windows pinball game probably for 200 hours. I'd be at work, load up some pinball. I'd be at home, load up some pinball. I played so much of that pinball. I just love video pinball. So to hear that Zen Pinball is coming out with three Star Wars tables, I was really excited, and I've got all three tables now. There's the Boba Fett table, the Empire Strikes Back table, and the Clone Wars table. My favorite of them is the Empire Strikes Back table. Using a mixture of audio clips from the movie and having a number of different missions, having stormtroopers that come out of the base, having Darth Vader there, this one was just a hell of a lot of fun. Had the probe droid sounds all the time. And it actually has a real pinball feel to it with the way you've got like the main characters by the flippers. 
They even go so far as to have the little displays in the corner that look like the LEDs where the score scrolls across on modern pinball tables. And this one has five flippers. I don't know if I've ever played a real pinball game with five flippers. I don't frequent haunts that have pinball machines, but in the pinball machines I have played, they don't have that many. The Boba Fett pinball table is a lot of fun, too. My single favorite part has to be there's a Han and Carbonite there, which... As listeners know, I'm a fan of Han and Carbonite, but I just thought it was a thing there, and I didn't pay it much attention. I'm like, oh, Han and Carbonite. It's a spinner. So when the ball hits it, the Han and Carbonite spins over and over like the pinball spinners do. That was a nice touch. And I think they got some original lines recorded for this. I can't tell if it's Tamura Morrison or D. Bradley Baker. I think it's Tamura Morrison, but I can't imagine that they'd get him to record some extra lines just for this, but it really has a authentic movie sound with custom dialogue. It also could be Tamora Morrison with lines recycled from the Nintendo Django Fett Bounty Hunter game, because the lines aren't pinball specific. They're things like, I always get my man, and things like that. A lot of fun. The only table that disappointed me a little bit was the Clone Wars table. And there's nothing wrong with it. I love that they actually went through a lot of trouble with the opening. They have a scroll with Tom Kane reading it. They have specific lines for pinball with the voice actors from the Clone Wars. That was all really good. The problem is the table is too damn bright. And this is a problem. This is why I didn't play the Marvel pinball tables much I got. You lose the ball. When the table is just too intense color, I can't see where the ball is. See, I haven't played it. I kind of watched you play a little bit. I don't like to play pinball on my iPad or on the computer because they make them too busy. And it's just, I can't do it. I just like a regular pinball machine. It's just, it's way too much stimulation going on. Yeah, that was my feeling on the Clone Wars one. It was the one I played the least of. I think you'd enjoy it because I know you also like pinball. I do like pinball. I just don't like it when there's way too much going on because they can do so much more when it's video versus an actual pinball machine. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy the Empire Strikes Back one, because like all pinball games, there are missions, but sometimes I have trouble figuring out what I'm supposed to do. It's like battle engaged, and I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do? I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to hit flippers, okay? I'm going to keep the ball out of the end zone. That is my goal. Trying to aim the ball somewhere, I don't always know where it's supposed to go. But in the Empire Strikes Back one, a stormtrooper rose out, and it started shooting at me. And the goal is hit the stormtrooper with the ball three times. So it was very clear what was supposed to be done. It was a lot of fun. For $2, I highly recommend it, except for the iPhone. Oh, it doesn't work on the iPhone too well. It says it works on the iPhone or the iPod Touch. I first bought these pinball tables on my iPhone. You can't see the dang ball. I have a retina display iPhone 5. I can't see the ball. I finally loaded it up on the iPad because I'm like, if I'm going to review this for the show, I have to know if I can see the ball. On the iPad, it's a glorious experience, but I wouldn't play this on anything smaller than a 7-inch screen. So if you have a phone that has Android or iOS, don't do it. If you have a Nexus 7, an iPad mini, or an iPad, I think you'll be just fine. But they're a lot of fun, good sound effects. And there's a fourth table on the way at least, and maybe more besides. They've got like a dozen Marvel ones. So if you're a pinball wizard, pick them up. Now next up, we've got Nathan, who's going to talk about the Star Wars number one comics and all about the covers. Hello, Star Wars Action News listeners. This is Nathan P. Butler here from Star Wars Beyond the Films over at StarWarsReport.com. 
bringing you Expanding the Universe, your EU special report, this time focusing on Star Wars Volume 2, Number 1. January 2013 marks not only the beginning of a new year, but the beginning of one of the most controversial Star Wars comic series to come along in years. Promoted as Star Wars tales with classic trilogy characters that were to be friendly to new readers without prior continuity knowledge, and focusing on characters as if A New Hope had just taken place, the early hype for this series tended to cause Expanded Universe fans like myself to enter a state of intense concern over how a new series in this already packed time period with such a premise might otherwise affect the continuity around it. Well, the jury's still out on the continuity impact of the series, and that is something that won't be known for certain until at least after its first story arc, In the Shadow of Yavin, ends. So far, at least, it seems to fit in relatively nicely with a few other stories in its era, such as Vader's Quest, but we shall see. In any event, it's not the story in and of itself that makes it a unique issue. The series is simply entitled Star Wars, though it takes on the Volume 2 label due to Dark Horse's Republic comic series, which ran from 1998 through 2006, being known simply as Star Wars as well until its 46th issue gave it the name we tend to call it today. I suppose we should also note that Marvel Comics also ran a series that bore the simple Star Wars moniker from 1977 through 1986, which I've been covering recently in my From the Star Wars Library video series on YouTube. Be sure to check that out, by the way. But that early Marvel series has no bearing on the volume number of the new one due to having been from a different publisher. Sure, it's been reprinted by Dark Horse, but it has usually borne the name a long time ago, thereby avoiding any, well, most confusion. The hype around this new Star Wars series built over several months, feeding on both excitement and dread over the series, while being given a gargantuan boost by the names attached to it. The series is written by Brian Wood, most famous for the DC Vertigo series DMZ, and features art by Carlos de Anda, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, both of whom are new to producing Star Wars tales. Moreover, the cover artist for the series, at least for all the issues currently released or solicited, is comic book industry great Alex Ross, known for, among other things, DC Comics' apocalyptic Kingdom Come. The series' publisher, Dark Horse Comics, has been relatively light on variant and exclusive Star Wars comics over the years, though it has had a few major pushes in that direction in recent memory, such as variant covers of several Star Wars series for the company's 25th anniversary. For this new series, though, which was a major event for the company and the Star Wars brand for 2013, Dark Horse has abandoned its usual calm and gone all out when it comes to multiple printings and variant editions for Star Wars Volume 2, Issue Number 1. And, without really meaning to it first, I've ended up becoming a collector of those variants. Arnie has asked me to provide a brief overview and rundown of these variants and the process of trying to collect each version of this landmark event comic. On January 9th, the series premiered with multiple first printings. Two of these feature the same blue Alex Ross cover art that was used to promote the series. Luke and Leia's faces with the TIE Fighters above and Vader in between, flanked by Han Solo and R2-D2 on one side and Chewbacca and C-3PO on the other. These first two versions are actually pretty much what one would expect from many comic lines. One is a direct market version, sold through comic shops, and the other is a normal newsstand version, sold through bookstores and the like. In this case, there is a subtle difference between the two. The direct market release includes a code for a digital copy of the comic, which is advertised in a small box next to the barcode on the cover. 
which inadvertently covers most of R2-D2. The new standard version does not include a code, so the box is missing, allowing R2-D2 to be entirely seen. That tends to be the way that people advertise when selling newsstand copies, by the way, in case you're looking for them. The third version of a first printing that was released on January 9th is a true variant cover edition, featuring all new cover artwork by Carlos de Anda and Gabe Elteyev. Yeah, I doubt I pronounced that one right. Who are the regular interior artist and colorist, respectively. This variant was produced for Hastings and available in their stores and through their website, though it does not appear that they have publicly announced exactly how many copies of this first printing variant were made available overall. January 9th also saw the digital release of the comic through the Dark Horse digital app, which features a slightly different layout to its cover image than the two regular print versions, since it lacks the barcode and the digital copy advertisements of the other two regular cover art versions from this initial release. Now, I should note here that there's also another version out there with the direct market cover art and digital copy cover notation that would appear to have been released around the same time, though I cannot confirm its exact release date, given that multiple sources have conflicting dates, and this is the one I've not yet required for myself. It's an exclusive release through Dynamic Forces that is essentially just the direct market version of the first printing, but is signed by cover artist Alex Ross in a release limited to only 600 copies with certificates of authenticity. Note that if you pick this one up in its original Dynamic Forces sealed bag, a different barcode will stretch across the bottom left of the item, covering up the normal barcode and most of the digital copy box. And so, January 9th came and went, and the comic sold out in a ridiculously short time, thanks to pre-orders and pre-release excitement. By then, though, Dark Horse was already preparing a second printing for the following month. February saw the release of three more different versions of Star Wars Number 1. First, February 6th saw the release of its second printing, which features the same Alex Ross cover art as the regular first printing, but in a so-called virgin format. In other words, it features just the art without any logo, barcode, or other print on its cover. It's clean. Three days later, on February 9th, a long-awaited question about the issue was answered. A special variant had been announced with new cover art by Stephanie Rowe, best known to Star Wars fans for cover art for Agent of the Empire and Jedi the Dark Side. This variant would be an exclusive to video game giant GameStop, which left fans puzzled, because they don't usually sell comic books. In fact, GameStop employees were puzzled about it as well. I brought the issue to the attention of the local GameStop manager, who's also a Star Wars fan, but no matter how hard he tried, it seemed the company was tight-lipped about just how the comic could be acquired, and when. Finally, on February 9th, it became clear, as the comic became available not in GameStop stores, and not for a price tag measured in dollars, but as a reward item that GameStop Power-Up Rewards members could redeem points for via the company's website. As a loyalty rewards program, customers earn points with purchases. The comic, which they noted was limited to only 3,000 copies, and incidentally is a first printing as well, would set a gamer back 9,920 reward points. Being a gamer and a frequent customer of GameStop in my area, I immediately cashed in a boatload of points, picking up two, one I kept and another that I then sold. Overall, though, the exclusive was met with significant ire from within the fan community, as the majority of those interested in the comic had nowhere near that many points, if any points, at GameStop, 
and could see little means by which to earn that many points before the comic would be snatched up by other fans and by non-fans who saw the opportunity to make a killing on eBay, which is about the only place you can find it now without those points. With the second printing selling out quickly, just like the first, a third printing hit stores on February 27th. This time, the cover featured the same cover art as the regular first printing and the Virgin second printing, but it added a large Star Wars logo, but only the logo over otherwise clean cover art. Now we enter a calmer stage in the game. No new printings of the comic are as yet announced for March. However, that does not mean that the variance and the chase for them is at an end. It has already been announced that a special sketch cover variant featuring Alex Ross's original pencil art sketch for the now classic Star Wars number 1 cover will be released on April 10th, alongside the fourth issue of the series. However, comic shops will only receive one sketch variant for every 20 copies of Star Wars number 4 that they order. So, does that mean that the storm of variants will finally be over? One would hope so. For me, the hunt has been interesting, but expensive. Between a day one digital purchase of the issue, a direct market first print, second printing, and third printing, from Dark Horse's preferred online outlet Things From Another World, TFAW.com, the lucky find of a newsstand first printing copy at Books A Million, the redemption of GameStop power-up rewards points for their variant, the eBay purchase of the Hastings variant, a purchase lined up for the Sketch variant, and the eBay purchase of a direct market copy that was signed at a series launch event by Brian Wood, Carlos DeAnda, and letterer Michael Heisler, I've managed to spend about $150 on this single issue, not counting the GameStop purchases that led up to that pile of reward points or my current search for a reasonable price on the Dynamic Forces signed version. Comic variants can quickly become a black hole, into which cash disappears, and from which, for the completists out there, there can be little hope of escape. I'm reminded now of why I don't go variant hunting most of the time. For me, completion means an original release issue, but not every variant thereof. With sketch variants already announced for the next three issues of Star Wars Volume 2, I suppose I should be excited. But at the moment, I just sort of shrug. Here's hoping that Dark Horse cools it with the variants for a while. They've earned the respect of their customers by avoiding extensive variants and limited, hard-to-find editions in the past, and we can make exceptions in the case of event issues like this one. The hunt can be exhilarating for fans who don't collect toys, statues, and the like, and thus don't regularly find themselves on the prowl for Star Wars collectibles. But seriously, Dark Horse, I don't think my wallet can take much more. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Nathan. I will admit, when we were in New York, we went to Forbidden Planet. They had the textless cover variant. And I'm like, all right, that's pretty cool. I picked it up. And I have the original comic. But I am not going for that crazy GameStop variant. Nathan was offering one for sale. He started the price at 50 and was seeing who would pay it. I'm like, no, just not going to do it. And all these other crazy variants. I'm just not that deep of a comic collector. Now, as promised... I did pick up recently the first Kotobukiya Bishoujo of Jaina Solo. And I want to talk about her on the show here. I know that for listeners to Marvelicious Toys, the podcast Marjorie and I do with Justin over at MarveliciousToys.com, we've reviewed a number of Bishoujo statues. But this is the first entry. So for Star Wars collectors, you may not be familiar with Bishoujos. It's a line that 
Kodobuki has been doing for many years. I remember first seeing them maybe back in 07 or 08 at Toy Fair in New York. And they were doing some DC ones and some Marvel ones. And they have now finally ventured into this line with Star Wars. Now, this is a one-seventh scale collectible that stands about nine inches tall. And this is an Art FX model kit, like all the other Star Wars items. Because the Star Wars license is so crowded, they don't have the license to make statues. They have the license to make these snap-together model kits. So this is the first Bishojo I've ever seen that I had to assemble. That is interesting. Yeah. It- I didn't know that. Yeah, her hands had to be attached, and her torso had to snap in, and then I had to attach her to the base. All the previous Bishojos I've gotten for the Marvel line were pretty much one piece, unless there's something that might break off, and so just for safety, they'd send something like a hand with a dagger separately to put together. She's the most clothed of any of the Bishojo statues. Not necessarily. There are some that are dressed head to foot, but she is one of the more modest Bishojo she, statues. She is. Maybe modest is the word I needed to use. Or more, She would be the girl at the bar with all the pretty scantily clad girls wearing tight clothing that just sits at the bar. She's a designated driver of her friends, right? You're saying she's a dowdy Bishojo? I'm saying that. No, I mean, she, her face is cute because Bishojo means pretty girl, in case you don't know in Japanese. Her face is very cute. It's a very feminine, petite face. And they've kind of got her in the manly X-Wing outfit and everything. But if you look at the other Bishojos, they're sexy. There's nothing sexy about this statue. I think she's a bit busty. She is busty, but they're covered up. It's not even low cut. There's no cleavage. Which I think was a smart first step into a Star Wars line for this. I have talked to them at length off air about this. I think they were smart because being a first entry... They could have gone too far. And you remember our reaction back when Gentle Giant kind of had that dolled up Leia maquette that they then did the life-size Leia of. That's true. I understand that. But Jaina Solo is really something that's only existed in comics or print. Smart choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they did this with Leia, people would be either buying three and four of them or picketing Kotobukiya. I see a slave Leia in the future of this line. Well... Who else are you going to do? You got Leia. Isla Sakura. Isla Sakura. Ula. Ula. Amidala. Darth Talon. Yeah. I hadn't thought about Amidala, but I bet that midriff bearing Amidala. It's not like Star Wars is rife with female characters. I guess they could do Jocasta New. Maybe put a sexy turtleneck on her. Some high-waisted pants. Ooh, baby. (laughs) No, I think that they are being really strategic with their introduction starting with expanded universe characters and seeing how far they can push this envelope with this license and see what the fan base will take. Obviously, the fan base is not against sexy EU characters. I've already mentioned Darth Talon. Mara Jade. Mara Jade. They'll tart her up. People want her tarted up. Have you ever seen any of the fan art or some of the artists? They tart her up. True, but the official art, while she does usually wear a black body stocking, isn't really dolled up in that kind of provocative manner. No, but they could. But for this one, it's definitely sporting the anime influence that the Bishojo line has. This looks nothing like Carrie Fisher or Han Solo. If those two had a kid, I would not expect this to come out. No, not at all. You've got the big eyes, the really well-sculpted hair. 
They go pretty crazy on some of the hair on some of the Bishoujos. Here, it's a more realistic style, but it's really well sculpted the way it kind of goes over the shoulder and everything. The outfit, when I first posted a picture of this on Facebook, somebody just posted one word response, and that word was chell. Now, I didn't know if this perhaps was a foreigner, and that was a curse word, so I actually had to Google chell, and I was trying Google Translate to see what does chell translate to. It turns out Chell is a game character that I've not known from the game Portal. Yep, that's Jaina Solo. I cannot imagine that the sculptor at Kotobukiya didn't look at Chell and go, hey, that's what we should do. By the same token, I can't imagine the creator of the Portal game didn't look at Star Wars and go, what would happen if we put a woman in an X-Wing outfit but then tied it off at the waist? Because I have, since this came out seen Chell statues at Entertainment Earth and gone, oh, is that Jaina Soul? Oh, it's Chell. That's happened to me four times. So if four times I see Chell and think it's Jaina Solo, there's definitely something going on there. And in fact, the lightsaber in Jaina Solo's hand is removable, so you could perhaps remove that and just- And take the rebel symbol helmet and you would have your Chell statue probably for a lot less money. Yeah. All in all, this is a nice piece- it's one that you wouldn't be embarrassed to have in your house, whereas some of the Bichot shows, I'll be honest, when we sold our last house, the realtor came in, saw the Marvel Bichot shows and said, those need to go before you have any people over. This, I don't think you'd have that with. No, I don't think that, well, no, there's no problem with this. She's just showing her arms unless, you know, you're in a certain foreign country that likes to cover up people's arms. Yeah, but I have a lot of complaints about this statue. You usually don't have complaints about Kodo products. I don't, but 100% of my complaints come down to the restrictions of Kotobukiya on their Star Wars license. This thing falls apart if I look at it funny. I'm, I'm nervous sitting next to it since you told me that. First of all, the hands. Because it's a model kit, the hands had to be snapped on. They don't snap snugly. And one of the hands, the one holding the helmet, is pointed down. Gravity is constantly pulling on that hand, and it has fallen three times in the first day. The other hand holding the flight suit is up, so gravity is actually helping it, but if you bump it, if you touch it, it falls off. The worst part of all is that lightsaber. The lightsaber is not molded to the hand. It appears to be just sitting in the hand, not even clasped. There is an, a little gray nubbin coming out of her pinky finger, kind of like the Coke fingernails from the 80s. Yeah. And there's a tiny hole that it took me about five minutes to find on that lightsaber. And that little hole goes over the nubbin. And then you have to push it down so that it appears to be resting naturally in the hand. And that thing is constantly falling off. I've never had this problem with a full-scale artifacts or an Artifacts Plus from Kotobukiya. But this one is the first time I'm looking at it and thinking... All my problems could be solved with a couple drops of super glue, and I may super glue her together. It means I can't put her back in the box, but it's a nice display piece. It looks really good, but those pieces do not stay on. The other thing is, at the back where her waist meets the X-Wing outfit, there's a little bit of a gap that I can't close up. And I think it's in there snugly, but there's just this maybe one-sixteenth of an inch hole. Maybe... They were originally going to put a tramp stamp on her. And I doubt that it. was going to show. <laughs> I've pushed down on the shoulder several times. I think it's on there the way it should be. There's just a little crack. I think it's just the way it is. And even her base, it feels a little bit lackluster compared to 
what they've done with some of the others. I know some of the Marvel ones, they have these really nice diorama pieces for the base, making it an environment, which is something that they've only been doing the past few years. Before that, they had very plain bases. This is a really plain base, but it has interchangeable inserts. So you can have it either with just the Star Wars logo or this really colorful Rogue Squadron logo. Now, for me, the Rogue Squadron one is far preferable. It's really colorful, really well designed. The Star Wars one, it's just on clear plastic with Star Wars in white. So it's hard to see as it is. It's really subtle. But the base is this milky plastic. It's not really clear. So the Star Wars gets completely washed out when inside the base. And the thing I don't like about that is it even washes out the color of the Rogue Squadron. If they'd used a really clear type of plexiglass base for the stand, then the colors would just be so vibrant here. And you'd be able to, if you're a good graphic designer, design your own bases. And if you're in the Rebel Cosplay group, I'm blanking on the name, you'd be able to put your own logo in there and make her part of that squad or what have you. But it just mutes the colors all down. It's a nice idea to allow that kind of customization, but really, in my opinion, there's only one base you'll use. On the plus side, the feet do stay in the peg holes on the base really, really well, so there's one piece I won't have to glue. But the detail in the sculpting, Kotobukiya is always great about that. From the ribbing of the chest piece of the X-Wing outfit, to the folds of the cloth, to the hair, Kotobukiya's slogan is craftsmanship. And other than the fact that mine doesn't stay together, it has that in every way. Now, listeners, if some of you have picked up this piece, let me know. Maybe I have a bad one here, like Jocasta New with bad paint. Maybe I got a Jaina Solo. I almost called her Chell. <laughs> Maybe I got a Jaina Solo that is unusually falling apart. But if that's the case, I'll exchange it for a different one. For here, if it's all like this... I think I'll just maybe a couple drops of super glue. And then I'm very much looking forward to where they go with this line. They've announced Mara Jade is next, but they didn't even have the art to show us at Toy Fair. I'm curious where they go next. They say that this has been really well done. Now, they did say at Kotobuki at Toy Fair that some people are already cosplaying like this Jaina Solo. I'm kind of wondering if people are cosplaying as Chell and adding a lightsaber. That could be. <laughs> like, this is just too dang close. But they also said there's been some resistance. Some people coming by and going, oh, why do they have to do Star Wars with an anime style? That's true. But I definitely don't regret the purchase. She's available for below the MSRP at quite a few places. So please use one of the affiliate links from the Star Wars Action News homepage and pick one up. And finally this week, we have Steve, the Ginger Prince, joining us. Greetings all, this is Steve the Ginger Prince, your man in the UK, and I'm bringing you a real mixed bag of banthers this episode. Let's start with the Star Wars films themselves. I'm watching more and more films. If you follow my movie target thread in the forums, you'll know that I've watched over 800 films in the last two years. Whilst a lot of these I'm watching digitally on a variety of handheld devices, I'm also picking up Blu-rays at an alarming rate. I picked up the ultimate 9-disc Star Wars Blu-ray set back in September 2011. If I remember correctly, we got it in the UK a couple of weeks before you lot in the US did. At the time, I remember saying on record that I would buy the individual three-disc prequel trilogy and the individual three-disc original trilogy sets when they came down in price. That never happened, until now. 
Last week I was taken off guard with the news that the three disc sets were going to be released as steelbooks. You know, same disc content, but instead of the plastic blue case, you get a sleek, sexy metal case. It's the ultimate packaging for your film. And I've got to admit that I've got a bit of a steelbook problem at the moment, to the extent where I'm starting to sell blues I own so I can replace them with a steelbook copy. Again, being honest, I dithered for more than a while deciding on these. At £29.99 each, they're cheaper than the normal three-disc blue sets and are therefore as steel. But I already own all the films on blue, and I'll probably be buying yet more copies of the films when Disney re-release them, hopefully in the original format, sooner rather than later. But have you seen these puppies? They're things of beauty. They have some of the great art from the inside of the 90s set on the reverse and on the interior of the steelbook. They'll look so much better on the shelf than that horrible Annie Luke on Tatooine artwork from the 9-disc box. I love the scene from Return of the Jedi on the back of the original trilogy box, Vader fighting Luke. It's foxy. In the end, it was the lovely Suzanne who stopped me dithering and told me to pre-order them. So I did, and on April the 8th, I'll be the proud owner of all six Star Wars films. Again. Right, from blue rays to silver coins. Sometime last year I read an article that was linked to by our good friends at Jedi News about the fact that some island in the South Pacific was producing a set of legal tender Star Wars coins and that these would be made available in the UK by the Royal Mint to those who applied. I filled in a quick online application and promptly forgot all about it. That was until last month when I got a package from the London Mint office in the post informing me that I'd been successful in my application and enclosing my Darth Vader coin at the special price of £4.95. The coin itself comes in a little plastic protective case and is shrink-wrapped onto a card. The coin, which for those numismatists out there, is a one Newey dollar piece. I think you pronounce the island Newey anyway. It's made out of silver-plated copper and zinc, and it's the first ever legal tender Star Wars coin. It's got the head and shoulders of the Dark Lord atop a logo on the tail side, and a Majesty's head on the reverse. I believe they're limited to 5,000 of each coin, and I have number 1318, although I would have preferred 1138, for obvious reasons. So last week I was really excited when a second package from the Royal Mint dropped through my letterbox containing the Princess Leia coin. Upon opening, I immediately lost any thrill when I saw that this and all further coins were going to set me back £29.99 each. That's the same price as the original trilogy Blu-ray steelbook set that I've just pre-ordered. 30 quid for $1? I have it on a 10-day approval, but it only took me 10 minutes to decide that it was being sent back. There are 40 of these coins being produced. At 30 quid each, that's over a grand on $40 worth of currency. I like the coins, but not £1,200 worth like them. So I'll hold on to my Vader but I'll cut my losses there. Now I bet I know who's got a coin collection. Jocasta knew. Now there's a tenuous link if ever there was one to something else that's hitting the UK at the moment. The Brian's Toys exclusive Jocasta new figure. I ordered two direct from Brian's Toys, but I've already seen them in the Manchester Forbidden Planet store. I bought two, one to open and one to keep box for display, and this figure is all about the display. The packaging is superb. First of all, what's more suitable for a librarian action figure than putting her in a book? And that's what this is as big as any hardback book on your shelves. It opens with a nice velcro attachment and the card is nicely inset, giving it space to be appreciated. I really like the way they pack the Count Dooku bust separately to the carded figure. It would have looked too cluttered if they'd have tried to stick the bust on the card as well. As Jonathan's previously mentioned, the only real disappointment with the packaging is that they push the figure card under little folds to keep it in place. But this just has the effect of bending the card, and I'll be surprised if there's anyone out there with a card that's not got a big wave in it due to this schoolboy packaging error. I suppose that's why they put an extra card back in. 
The figure itself is a cracking likeness of the old bird, and she's a lovely mix of detailed plastic tunic and soft goods skirt. I'm not sure why she has the prostate probe fingers, maybe it's for a Jedi mind trick. Waves two fingers, you will pay your library fines. Nor did I think that librarians were packing, but they throw in a nice blue lightsaber for her to deal with anyone who doesn't pay those fines. The Dooku bust is also great, a figure in itself, and lift the bust and you've got a holocron underneath, and it's not set in the plinth, it actually comes out. This is definitely value for money folks, and needs to be picked up if you're a 3 and 3 quarter inch collector, as it'll be something that you really love. Something I really love is my wife Suzanne. She's great, and for Valentine's Day I bought her an Ewok, and she bought me a Kota Bakia Darth Vader artifact statue. This is another area that I'm being drawn into, having previously been given the Stormtrooper 2-pack and the Droids 2-pack as Christmas presents. The Vader is in a Cloud City pose, particularly appropriate as my collection room is called the Cloud City Collection Room, and he looks fantastic flanked by the aforementioned Stormies. I'm really looking forward to picking up the Artifacts Django Fett that Koto recently announced. Perhaps I'll receive it as another unexpected present. Talking about the unexpected, with my vocal denouncement of all things Angry Birds Star Wars, is probably the last thing you were expecting me to hear talk about, but I have made peace with the franchise to allow myself to pick up one of the four available playing card set tins, taking my total for packs of Star Wars playing cards to 20. I went for the Chewbacca tin over the Han, Luke or Vader, although all four were readily available for £4.99 in both Forbidden Planet and The Entertainer. Each tin comes with a special lenticular effect card of the character depicted on the tin, which is a nice addition. The card back is a collage of characters from the game, which I still haven't bought or played. The aces and jokers of the pack depict characters that don't feature elsewhere in the deck, like Greedo and nonsensically a Gamorrean guard in an ATST. The four suits of the deck have identical characters but a different background. I think they're supposed to be Space, Tatooine, Geonosis and the Death Star. They're not my favourite deck of cards, but the tin is nice, and at a fiver, they're a small outlay. Talking about small things, I finally found the Ewok Scout 2-pack on the pegs over here. Forbidden Planet are selling them half price at £9.99, which is a great deal for the ridiculously named Wunker and Whittled Warwick. These little guys are the pair that helped the mighty Chewbacca take the ATST in the Battle of Endor, and they're a great sculpt, right down to capturing their insane little Ewok grins. With their clubs and axes, they look hell-bent on cracking some Stormtrooper heads. Little savages. From little savages, to a big savage. Another surprise is that with the dearth of 3 and 3 quarter inch at the moment, I've been straying into the Clone Wars for my action figure kicks, and I picked up Mr. Oppress on the green Yoda card. For £9.99 at Forbidden Planet, I got Darth Maul's bro, and he cuts a truly terrifying figure. He's a nice combination of soft goods skirt and plastic armour. I particularly love his Snaggletooth-esque silver moon boots. Trendy. I'm displaying him with his double-bladed lightsaber instead of the ridiculous giant vibro-axe type thing that's also packed in with him. Again, I think you're getting real value for money with this figure. Right, I'm out of tenuous link, so it's more than time for me to pass the microphone back to my good friends, Marjorie and Arnie. Thank you, Steve. It's always wonderful to hear you. And later this year, we're going to see you. Again. This is great. Once in one year. Twice in two years. And that is our show for this week. We will be back next week where I will be talking about some really old stuff that I just bought because, well, 
There's just no new stuff to buy, and we'll also have a report from yesterday's Toy Man Toy Show. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook and Twitter. The links to our social media sites are at swactionnews.com. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at swactionnews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that podcast at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. You can help support Star Wars Action News by making a donation using the Donate button at SWActionNews.com or by using affiliate links on the Star Wars Action News homepage when shopping online. Your support helps keep Star Wars Action News on the air. We also appreciate it if you would spread the word about Star Wars Action News. If you enjoyed the show, please post about Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media network of choice, or just tell a friend about the show. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes page is at SWActionNews.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is segment reporters Jerry, Brock, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve, graphic design by Chris, image editing by Jay, podcast enhancement by Andrew and Barrett, associate produced and podcast announcements by Brock. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, all rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting.
picketing outside the gentle giant offices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pickle giant. Why would what chill giant have to do with it? 